Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud, and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. Hello, my darling diet culture dropouts. I'm so excited to be back. What a banging start to the year with that interview with Reagan. I really hope you enjoyed it. And thanks for listening, everybody. And if you haven't already subscribed, please make sure you do so you don't miss out when they pop out. And if you're feeling really generous, give us a five-star rating and review uh, because I really want to get this up. all fired up message out to absolutely everyone on the planet, especially today's episode. I'm completely outraged about it. So please give us a five-star review if you love us. And if anything is really, really getting up your nose, I want to hear about it. Send your rage to me, Louise at untrapped.com.au. Just send me a quick email, get it off your chest, let me know what it is, and we'll see if we can rant about it here at All Fired Up. We are at high season in diet culture and there's a hell of a lot of weight loss bullshit flying around in our social media advertising campaigns. It's bloody everywhere. And if you are in need of a free resource to help you push back against this tsunami of bullshit, look no further than our free ebook, which I wrote with Dr. Fee Willer, who is an awesome anti-diet dietitian. Our ebook is called Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss Is Bullshit. It's completely free. In it, we bust the 10 myths between weight and health that are flying around. Uh, It's an excellent resource. It's just stuffed with science and facts and pushback that you might need just to kind of help you solidify that what we're talking about with the anti-diet approach is not anti-health. What we're talking about with the anti-diet approach is look at the freaking evidence of what weight science is telling us. Like what we were talking about with Reagan last time, the evidence is there. It's plain for everyone to see and we need a change in direction. So please go get that ebook. It's free. You can get it from untrap.com.au. It'll just pop up and you can download it and that will be excellent. Speaking of the glorious Dr. Fee Willer, I'm so excited because uh, the COVID pandemic has really interrupted the workshops and training that Fee and I uh, traditionally do. We get on planes, we fly around Australia, and we train health professionals of all different disciplines in the anti-diet approach. And it's been really tough to do since, um, you know, the pandemic struck, but we are really happy because we're starting up again this year. We've got several professional trainings coming up. Uh, So if you're a health professional and you're really interested to learn more about the weight inclusive approach, to body positive counseling skills. Pretty niche, I know. But if you want to do uh, this training, please sign up with me and Fee. Our first training, by the way, all of this is online. So you don't have to hop on a plane or travel anywhere. You can do it from the comfort of your couch with slippers on, nice cup of tea. Our first training is the 26th of February. So we're running all of our trainings on Saturday. So it won't interrupt a working week for those uh, very busy health professionals. So you can find uh, where to register for the training. If you go to the Insta account, so untrapped underscore AU, and then click on the link in my bio, you will see a link to the weight inclusive body positive training. Read more about it and sign up. It's an excellent day. uh, And it's also a really awesome way of networking with other health professionals um, in this area. 
On with the show. My darlings, I have coined a new phrase over the Christmas break. Uh, I really fell into a deep abyss thanks to Noom. And the new phrase I have coined is Noom Rage. I am Noom Raged. This outrage at a whole new level. Like I'm almost at Novo Nordisk level outraged with Noom because it is like you uh, might have noticed, like the advertising for Noom is bloody everywhere. It's saturating social media and televisions. Like you can't, you can't go anywhere without tripping over a Noom ad. Uh, so that saturation was really annoying. The anti-diet claims that they're making are like, how very dare they? And there's been heaps of really wonderful outraged pushback and blogs about this, which I think is wonderful. And I was reading this really cool article. It was called How the $4 billion Noom Co-opted the Language of Eating Disorder Recovery to Sell Weight Loss, Um, which was, you know what, to be honest, it was one of the very few critical articles written um, by journalists because the outrage seems to be coming much more from the eating disorder community and the anti-diet community than uh, journalists. So this was actually a journal, journalist writing something very critical about Noom and picking up on how just completely awful it is to be using the language of anti-diet and how vulnerable people, particularly people with eating disorders or eating disorder risk, are going to get sucked in to this dark tunnel. And there was a quote in there from Dr. Alexis Connison. She is a fellow psychologist and she's based in New York and she's a certified eating disorder specialist. And I loved what she had to say because it felt like her outrage was like at my level of just like understanding why it sucked. So I got in contact with uh, Alexis and she has agreed to come on because she has a, just a terrific rant about everything Noom like. I'm really, I, just, I can't believe I'm here again, right? Because in episode number 33, I already have talked about Noom in the episode called Weight Loss for Millennials when we were discussing uh, how predatory Noom's market marketing to, um, you know, the millennials and to uh, people who aren't in larger bodies and the risk of that kind of marketing tactic. And it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that things have gotten so much worse since episode 33. But oh my gosh, you know, if Noom was a variant of COVID, it would be like Omicron on steroids because Noom's infection rate has just like exploded and it's everywhere. We really need to unpack this. The story of Noom is is even worse than just co-opting anti-diet language. And, you know, that is an awfully offensive thing to do, but I kid you not, that is just the tip of the iceberg. So Alexis and I are going there in this conversation and I I really trigger warning for people who might have an eating disorder or be in recovery. We do talk calories. We do talk, the O word appears a couple of times. We've tried to give warnings, but honestly, to understand this beast, we had to kind of go deep in its underbelly. So without any further ado, I give you me and the glorious Alexis. So Alexis, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So tell me what's firing you up at the moment. One of the things that's really firing me up right now is all these weight loss companies co-opting the language of the anti-diet movement and trying to pretend they're not a diet and gaslight us all into believing that they are the anti-diet. And one company in particular is Noom. <sighs> oh God, yes. Noom, like the kind of queen of this 
at the moment. Like the co-option has been going on for a number of years. Like, you know, I think the weight loss industry has realised that people are really sick to death of dieting. But, yes, Nooma everywhere right now at the moment. Like literally everywhere. You can't turn around without bumping into Noom claiming to be anti-diet or even like, oh, I saw something that said 2022 is the year to end diet culture from Noom. How dare you? Yeah, they're just the worst. And their messaging is so confusing because they're really trying to convince us that there's something that they're not. And they are everywhere. I don't know what their marketing budget is, but like their Google ad spend is out of this world because every time I search for anything, whether it is the term anti-diet or intuitive eating or even my book title, like Noom is right there as the first result. I just did an interview um, for Australian media and when it came out and the whole interview was about how January is just really hard because you always get these freaking diets everywhere. And the banner above my article was freaking Noom. Oh. <laughs> and the spend, I've, I've been down this rabbit hole. I haven't slept in quite a few weeks. So <gasps> it is, they are spending multi-millions, like $10 million a year. And it's just going up and up and up. You're right. The spend is outrageous because it's a, it's a psychological technique, isn't it? Like flooding people with messages is how we get brainwashed. Yes, totally. It's so, it's, um, it's just makes me, my blood boil because I, I think of, because look, look, Noom's a diet. It's, it's a freaking diet. It's not a not diet just because it says so. <laughs> It's a very low calorie restrictive diet at that. You know, it's a like a very diety diet. Yeah, it's like, but you, you're baited and switched with Noom. Like you, I think of all the people, because I have, uh, you know, I work in eating disorders and I have people on my caseload who have become convinced that Noom's not a diet and who've even thought maybe I can incorporate Noom into my recovery and then found out the hard way that this is actually really, really diety. Yeah. One of the things that was so disturbing to me was when I started posting about Noom on my Instagram account, I started getting these messages from people sharing, you know, kind of their personal stories with Noom. And the more that I shared about Noom, the more that I got these kinds of stories. And I was really inundated with people sharing that they had been convinced that Noom was not a diet and they were in eating disorder recovery. And because Noom was using terms like anti-diet or intuitive eating or mindful eating, mm. they this was the same language that they were hearing used by their recovery team. So they thought that this is a program that would be consistent with their recovery. And a lot of these people had their recovery compromised because they signed up for Noom. All of a sudden were being told to lose weight and to go on this very restrictive, low-calorie diet, and it swung them right back into the height of their eating disorder. And then they, you know, had a long, longer recovery road ahead. I have had exactly the same experience, and that's what, like, it. I mean, it's a real bugbear for me that um, diet culture is co-opting anti-diet language. But yeah. this, it's so low. It is so incredibly low. And it reveals like the, the lack of interest from this company in any kind of harm that's being done. Because like I said, I've been down this Noom rabbit hole. I've looked at every single freaking research study they've done and they have not looked for harm ever in anything. And I have never read anything from Noom that addresses these concerns. Have you? No, I mean, I think from what I see in their marketing, 
it's incredibly predatory because they are, you know, it seems like they're specifically targeting people in eating disorder recovery and people who are seeking to heal from diet culture, you know, by using the ad terms that we're using in recovery. And I've, you know, seen them come up, like I said, everything from intuitive eating, anti-diet, mindful eating, even binge eating disorder recovery. These are the kinds of terms that people are searching for when they're trying to heal from dieting and eating disorders. And then they're being brought into the noom web Mm. with being convinced that this is going to give them what they're looking for, but also be consistent with recovery. So I think it's incredibly predatory and I really haven't seen Noom address it at all. And even in like some of the articles that I've read where journalists have specifically asked them about some of the concerns coming from the eating disorder recovery, all, all I've ever seen is a very nominal we assess for eating disorders, but when I trialed the app, I didn't see that at all. I didn't see any kind of assessment for eating disorders. And I specifically tried to create a profile that would raise flags if there were going to be red flags raised. And, you know, it was just, nope, you can reach that goal. We wait in six weeks and here's how low of a calorie diet you should eat. Oh my God. You did the same thing that I did. I signed up too. (laughs) Just, just to go in undercover and that was fairly recently I got, there was one question there, which is literally, have you ever been diagnosed with an eating disorder? Yes or no. And then like, but I was giving them flags too. And they told me I could lose one third of my body weight by September without dieting. Exactly. Yeah. I had the same experience. I don't even remember seeing that. Like, do you have, have you ever been diagnosed with an eating disorder question online, but maybe I somehow missed it, but you know, that's not really assessing for an eating disorder anyway, because lots of people, we know that most people struggling with an eating disorder are not formally diagnosed with an Mm -hmm. eating disorder by a professional. No. And it's also extremely hard to figure out in, even in weight loss research, because there is a theme happening at the moment of let's still do weight loss research, but let's screen for eating disorders and make sure people don't get eating disorders, which is like fucking impossible because a diet is telling you to do eating disorder behaviors. And Noom is definitely telling people to do eating disorder behaviors. I have to ask you what, so we've obviously got like different weight loss goals with Noom (laughs) and then trigger warning for everyone listening, because I am about to ask the question, how many calories per day did Noom tell you? that you could have. I, I believe it was 1200 calories a day, which I think they recommend to everybody, right? Oh, That's from, funnily is enough. that what they told you? <laughs> Same exact thing. Like the, the rough intake adequate for a toddler. Yes, is, exactly. Yeah, eat yeah. like a baby. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, so it seems like literally everyone's been given this individualized plan. <laughs> Exactly. Very uniquely tailored for you. The thing that I also, you know, thought was interesting at the time that I was being told to eat like a toddler, I had actually just had a baby and was nursing and that was never asked either. You know, any questions about, you know, are you breastfeeding or do you, you know, have conditions that would lead you to have a higher, need a higher calorie intake? No, there there is one calorie intake in this individualized, not a diet, Mm -hmm. definitely not a diet program. Yeah. The other thing that I'll add in terms of their assessment for eating disorders is that I have had a few people who messaged me with their, again, their personal experience with Newman said that they did directly share that they had an eating disorder or were in eating disorder recovery with their coach. And all they were told was like, I think in some instances they were just told to kind of keep going on the plan or sometimes they were directed into like another segment of the Noom program. But Mm -hmm. that didn't seem to be a reason for the coach to say, well, you really shouldn't be 
doing this then? Please consult your eating yeah, disorder recovery team. <laughs> see a health professional, get some help. This, you know, eating disorders are nothing to trifle with. They kill a high percentage of people. And like, this is, it's tantamount to, ne- it's not tantamount, it's, it's worse than negligence. You know, yeah. it's, it's pouring people, you know, into a, a pit and then taking zero responsibility. It just, it's and- awful. It, it really is. I think that they have tapped into, you know, what I've said before is like a very vulnerable part of the population, because I think a lot of people in eating disorder recovery, it's hard. Recovery is hard and it's a struggle. And I think that oftentimes people are caught in this place where they know that they can't diet anymore and that they really shouldn't be focusing on restricting their food intake. But there's a lot of body image dissatisfaction that lingers even after eating disorder behaviors start to mm-hmm. resolve. And when there's a program promising you you, you can, you know, have weight loss and get the body that you want without what they're told that they can't do in recovery. It's very alluring to people who are, you know, having more ambivalence in their recovery. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with bait and switch, right? It's really alluring. And then it's once you realize you're hooked, you can't get off the line. So that's the real psychology of noon. It's bait and switch, which is, we call it low balling. (laughs) Absolutely promising the world and then delivering something quite shit. But they're really clever because with low balling, you've, by the time you're in, you've committed, you know, by the time, I'm sure you went through the same thing. Like there was 50 million freaking questions before I got signed up to noon. So that creates buy-in for the consumer. Like I've committed half an hour of my life. So no matter what I end up with, um, also then they make you wait a little. Like I had to wait till the next morning till I get my individualized tailored program, which obviously they were working hard at. And so like all of that buy-in and anticipation creates commitment in the consumer and they know this. Mm -hmm. And so that's really freaking psychologically manipulative. It's just disgusting. Well, they say they use psychology. That's how. (laughs) And this is the real, this is why I wanted to do this show. The real psychology of Noom is the psychology of persuasion and control. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they are gaslighting us with the use of um, body positive language. And this gets me so mad I can't sleep. They are using CBT and psychological techniques as like, oh, we do this. That's what the missing puzzle piece of lasting weight loss is of course psychology right and of course you know these these dude bros from new york suddenly have uncovered the whole thing it's maddening this use of uh psychology that's why i wanted to talk to you as well because as a fellow psychologist does that really grind your gears Yeah, it really does because, you know, I think it gives psychology a bad name. I mean, this is not what psychology is about. Psychology is about changing, you know, on one level, it's about changing behaviors. And we know that body size is not a behavior. And if you say that you're using psychology or CBT to lose weight, you know, that's totally counter to what psychology is all about, which is healing and health and trying to help people change their mindset for the better, not Mm -hmm. to cause psychological distress. Yeah. Yeah. So it's such a um, misrepresentation of the complexity of uh, psychological help. And I I totally agree. I don't want to be in there anywhere near Noom and a marketing campaign that is really like dragging down the good name of psychology into like bot run sound bites. Yes, exactly. I think that they've taken like 
I don't even know what they've taken <laughs> from psychology that they're calling psychology, but it's so watered down and distant and kind of this idea that you can take some tiny little component of something and say that this is psychology and this is research based and this is, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy when really, you know, it, it dilutes those terms for people who actually have the training to call themselves a psychologist and therapists who use cognitive behavioral therapy who are trained, you know, go to school for years years and trained mm-hmm. in this complicated technique. I know. And the number one thing that is important, like from my perspective, working as a clinician for over 20 years, is connection with this human being who's been through a lot. That is missing in a tech-based app. Uh, and I like literally, <laughs> my Noom coach is a bot and I keep calling it a bot and it keeps coming back with like obvious bot responses. <laughs> it's hilarious. But this, this idea of human connection completely missing, like I said, like it's just decontextualized and it's like, oh, like psychology hot tip, blah, blah, blah. Like I read one which said literally I should eat like three kilos of kale instead of a piece of chicken or something really stupid. Like that's a psychological hack. <laughs> right, because that's what psychology is about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or even like actual blatant rep- misrepresentation of the psychological research. So an example is Noom tell you to weigh yourself every freaking day, which is insanely unsafe (laughs) from the eating disorder perspective and also just from the perspective of people who might not yet have an eating disorder but are damn well going to get one from doing Mm -hmm. behaviors like that the study that they reference to back up that claim I went and read it (laughs) it was an analysis of a few studies and the conclusion did not say daily weighing is going to lead to uh, lasting weight loss. The conclusion said there is not yet enough evidence for us to make any claims about how frequently people should weigh. And also the big question we have to address in the literature is how much harm or psychological risk we are doing. And from that, Noom have extracted weigh yourself daily so we can use your data. Well, and I think it's fascinating, like a lot of the, I don't know if Noom relies on this data set, but a lot of the data that the weight loss companies use to kind of inform their quote unquote research proven techniques are taken from the National Weight Control Registry. And we know that people in the National Weight Control Registry, which for people who aren't familiar, it's a a data set of people who have, you know, these these kind of rare unicorns who Mm -hmm. have lost and maintained a significant amount of weight long-term. I forget exactly what the criteria is. I think it's like, you've lost over 30 pounds or something mm-hmm. and kept it off yeah. for two 12 years. Months. 12 yeah. months. Yeah. 12 months, or 12 yeah. months, which is so, so unusual for anyone to do. Researchers kind of started saying, instead of let's instead of trying to come up with a sample of you know the average population to study long-term weight loss, let's look at these really rare people mm-hmm. who've actually been able to do it because like almost no one can do it. So here's mm-hmm. like a few people who can. And they do find that like, for example, people in the National Weight Control Registry weigh themselves every day. They also follow a very restrictive diet and do a lot of food logging. The other thing that they find about people in the National Weight Control Registry is that they look a whole lot like people with chronic anorexia. How so? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, these are not people who are psychologically effortlessly maintaining that suppressed weight. These are people who are white knuckling and who are kind of, in my opinion, and yours too, obviously, sacrificing their mental health Um, And I get it. There's a shit ton of pressure on people to to not be large in our culture. So, 
but it's yeah it's just like you said the unicorn stable using the unicorn stable as examples to um, look up to is absolutely crazy thinking um but that's weight science is good at that weight science mm-hmm. is really good at ignoring like the, the glaringly obvious facts like weight loss doesn't work for the vast majority of people they just ignore that noom does that all through their studies is like we're going to just completely ignore the fact that like the vast majority of people who download our app just never use it <laughs> like immediately fuck off because it's literally that bad and we're just going to study that tiny fraction percentage who do manage to log in to noom and then pretend that that's the experience of the average user that is a statistical crime it is and then they also if i remember correctly in their study kind of cherry pick the data so they're looking at the most you know motivated and quote unquote, like engaged people of their Noom users, which Mm -hmm. is, I think it was like less than 1% of people who downloaded their app who were included. It's significantly less than 1%. So 10 million people downloaded the app Mm -hmm. and they had 35, they started with 35,900 people who managed to do anything at all for six months. So work out that percentage, but it's it's like really. Yeah, it's like 20. Yeah, I don't remember what it is. It's less than 1% of the users. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe even less than half a percent of the users. Mm-hmm. But those are the most, so so they then take just that very, very small sliver of their app users and say, we're only going to study them, the most engaged, mm-hmm. highly motivated. They're the only know, ones that count, right? Yeah. Right, everyone else doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. We pretend they don't exist. We're only going to take the people who are the most quote unquote successful and we're going to look at them. And when you look at the results of their study, the results, you know, the data is not what they're saying in their marketing, which is some hugely inflated statistic of like most people lose and maintain weight on our program. Like 77% of people lose weight on, on, while they're using the new map, there's a little, oh, while they're using the new map. Right. But they don't say that. Right. So that's 77% of the less than 0.1% of, or less than 1% (laughs) of their users. But then within that 77%, almost all of them gain it back. Yep, when they're yep. following the, either drop out of the study or gain it back by 12 months. Yep. yep. That's, so we, so that, that data that that that's coming from a very isolated um time point. It's not giving me a picture of what's happening to people over time. No, of the the data that ended up like because we've obviously both been into this study, <laughs> the actual numbers that they had at the end of that whatever 12-month period was um, 90% of people, uh, you know, regained it or a bit more after the study. And, and that is really different to because the marketing is just total shit. It's just they, they literally misrepresent based on, like they just count on people not going and reading the studies. And that's where they, they have not run into people like you and me. <laughs> we will. Now they have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're just not. They just don't care. They don't care. Exactly. They don't care. The Noom website is all about like, oh, we're science-based and we've got all this sparkly research. We have uh, over 30 published peer-reviewed studies. What they don't tell you is that there's 23 of them have been written by Noom employees and some of them even have stock in Noom. Also, I found another statistical crime because only 17 of those studies declared their conflict of interest. Wow. So, yeah, like six of them just like blatantly didn't declare conflict of interest. And it's it's a nerdy kind of thing, but that is a statistic. That is a crime in, yeah. in like absolutely unethical behaviour. 
completely. And the other thing is you have to notice, I, I forgot when their earliest, you, you might know this offhand, like what the earliest study was, but it was Noom has been around researching their program for a number of years and that the most long-term data they can present us with is 12 months because you know they clearly could be studying people over five years or seven years or even 10 years. I forget. It's been about that time frame since their initial studies started going on. Yeah, it's 2011. Um, so yeah. Yeah. What, yeah so where's the 10-year data, Noom? Yeah. <laughs> Show us your data. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what? This is another they're such fuckers I just I just really can't stop swearing when I think of Noom on the website it says it actually redefines what is long-term data and Mm. guess how much it is it's one year (laughs) well that's very convenient for them because we know that the typical person who goes on a diet is able to lose weight and keep it off in the and lose weight short term but it doesn't translate into long-term maintenance so it's a nike Nike tick of weight regain yeah if you look on a graph it goes down and then goes straight up again and most weight loss researchers will just stop looking at mm-hmm. the point before it starts going like up again, which is like another crime. So like maybe just taking advantage of all the shittiness of weight loss science and combining mm-hmm. it with a fuck ton of money to um, <laughs> misrepresent what you're likely to run into. But yeah, you're right. It has been, it's been around since 2007 and it was founded by two men uh, who have never been fat. And one of them was Artem Petikov, a Ukrainian-born engineer who went to Princeton University. So, and he did a computer science a bachelor's degree. He also is widely quoted in the media as doing a psychology of decision-making class. Like a class you took in college. Uh, yes. <laughs> From a guy who is renowned for like exploiting decision-making in economics. <laughs> That is unbelievable. But also like one class in college is not, does not make a career. You know, like I, I might've taken a uh, biochem class, but I'm not a physician. <laughs> but the number of like breathless media reports on Petikov just saying, oh, he has a background in computer science and, sec- and psychology. And he's just harnessed that. And like, look at his brilliance. Like, oh, media, please be a little tiny, tiny bit critical about um, dude bros who are starting up stuff like this. The other guy is Seiju Jung, who's uh, Korean born, and he's for a family of doctors. And he's basically a businessman as well as an engineer. When he came to the USA in 2005, he met Petikov at a Princeton dinner, as you do. Uh, (laughs) And then they decided that they needed to launch some kind of company. And Noom is not the first one. So they first launched a app called Cardio Tracker, which is like trying to track all of your workouts at the gyms in New York. And then they launched Calorific in 2010, (laughs) which was a color-coded calorie counting uh, app. But of course, these didn't work. Like imagine. Then at some point, so the first version of Noom as we know it today launched in 2011. And this was like the whole kind of calorie count. Like they just kind of combined everything, you know, the calorie counting, the, the traffic light, Um, distinction of like giving foods colors and stuff like that plus coaching which is by you know bots basically Mm -hmm. AI bots and then in 20 so it's really interesting because Seiju is in the media saying that it basically didn't work and Mm -hmm. so they relaunched in 2016 using actual humans um, as well as bots so this long-term research that we were just talking about was all bot territory related 
So it's just nothing, you know, with no, nothing is what it seems. Nothing quite adds up. Like, you know, there's something really fishy there because mm-hmm. apparently Seiju is saying, well, it didn't work. So we changed the, um, the recipe, but of course, all of the marketing we're going to use is like, see, it works because of this research from when it stunk. Like what? So the research where they're getting that 77% data from is the old, is not even yeah. the current formulation of their program. No, it's from the 2012 to 2014 downloads yeah so mm, mm. (laughs) very very strange but it's now claiming that it's got 45 million downloads or 50 million downloads they're saying that they've got 2700 coaches like real life coaches and I don't know about you but doing that maths for me that means that there's a that's a huge caseload yeah well, but which is hard to imagine with all the individualized, unique attention that each person is getting at new. And of course, all of the coaches, interesting, you know, they're clear, they're not registered mental health professionals. They go to something called Numiversity, um, where, <laughs> oh, this makes me shiver. They do a four week course in CBT, which is, you know, you and I know that's all we need, right? Right. Of course. And also these are the people that they're claiming are qualified to assess eating disorders. (laughs) Just makes my brain hurt. Is that that one hour of training of the four week program? I've had such fun interactions with my bot. Like, like I could say anything like on, um, you know, the bit of the noom thing where it says, put in your big goal. What's your big goal? I wrote to see Noom go broke. (laughs) And and my bot wrote back and went, yay, we're going to help you get there. (laughs) And they just might. I hope they do. (laughs) Sorry, but I mean, it might be different in New York. Maybe there are some actual, you know, humans talking to humans. But here in Australia, it's all bots. These are complete bots. Like my bot even forgot that I've unsubscribed. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are human, you know, this, if you look online, this is a source of debate because a lot of people think that it's a bot and they're not sure. Is it a bot? Is it a human? I think there are some actual humans. The bots might give out better advice. So I've seen, heard some <laughs> awful stories about the human. Oh, There's wow. some circulating on social media where someone shared that their Noom coach encouraged them to think of one of the most shameful experiences that they had had in their life and to conjure up that memory each time they felt like eating to associate shame with food. I just want to hurl something out the window. That's it's that's like trying to give someone an eating disorder. This is the level that we're at though. You know, with if we try and dumb down psychology, if we try and dumb down our relationship to food to like basically sweatshops of coaches and bots like this is the shitty level of of intervention we're going to get and you know what do you know I'm already freaking busy I'm sure you are as well I don't want to clean up no messes this is this is just disgusting no we don't need more clients it's going to get worse though it just got um last year it got half a billion dollars in funding from investors and it said that its revenue in 2019 and 2020 doubled from 200 million to 400 million so they are planning to expand their market into mental health i heard that i heard that i know they have a binge eating disorder app launching or at least in research and now they're also trying to be like a general mental health app which is horrific Oh, I, I need to talk about the binge eating, this sort of thing, because I need to get this off my chair. Cause this like, obviously like this is, this is my patch. <laughs> 
in in terms of like long-term impact of dieting is is ending up with a really in messed up relationship with food where binge eating can absolutely happen binge eating is a function of restriction and diet culture to see a fucking diet app get into this territory is it's like weight watchers doing eating disorder research this is not okay but Somehow this company has managed to get NIH and NIMH funding to the tune of it's above $2 million to research Noom and binge eating and bulimia. And I am just incensed over this. And I looked at, I thought there was something really fishy because like, how does Noom manage to get eating disorder funding? <laughs> like, I don't know about where you are, but in Australia, even this sort of funding is not easy to come by. And the people who get that money need to be, in my uh, maybe idealistic view, like they need to be good people. But in the clinical trial application for the second binge eating disorder pilot, the guy who is listed in the published paper as the person who did the research isn't there. Like they've put a woman in there from Kaiser Permanent hmm. as the applicant who got all the money. Very fishy. Very fishy. And then like it ends up with like one and a half million dollars to do an eight-week binge eating disorder group with using the new map. Well, and I think it speaks to how entrenched weight bias is, you know, into the whole system. And in the US, you know, it's it's hard to get funding for eating disorder research, but there's a big pot of gold waiting for people looking to do research about weight loss. So I do yes. wonder if it's not a coincidence that Noom was able to get funding perhaps by going through those avenues of saying, we're going to help people with eating disorders and get them to lose weight, even though anyone who knows anything about eating disorder treatment knows that those two things are completely contradictory mm-hmm. and that focusing, you know, intentionally focusing on weight loss would be contraindicated for anyone with any kind of eating disorder or disordered eating. So it's just, it really is enraging. And I think that Noom has, you know, created kind of a full circle here where they're, you know, encouraging people to restrict and diet that's increasing the risk of eating disorders and then saying they're going to treat those eating disorders Mm -hmm. while having them restrict and diet and lose weight and then it worsens eating disorders. And then, you know, and like, yeah, oh gosh, has our diet given you an eating disorder? Here's our eating disorder treatment. Oh gosh, (laughs) is our eating disorder treatment stressing you out? Here's our mood thing. Oh, and the mood thing, the new mood thing includes stress management, anxiety management and healthy behavior management. So it is diabolically awful to think of like just the clusterfuck of all of this. <laughs> it's really bad. And when they did the research, I'm, I'm, I'm astounded that they're launching the app because the research showed that like 60% of people who did the Noom BED training dropped out, didn't complete it, couldn't be bothered. They, and these are people who didn't pay for it. In fact, Noom paid them. Right. Right. And, you know, I think that there's a tendency in this research to kind of to discount those people, like even in their larger study, what happened to the, you know, 99.9% of the people who downloaded the app and didn't use it for the six months that you had to use it to be eligible to participate in the study. Because I know I'm certainly hearing from a lot of those people on my Instagram account who, you know, discontinued the app because it was worsening their eating disorder. Yeah, no, no, there's no interest in people who drop out. There is no interest in harm. And that's that's one of my bugbears is that it is being treated as if it's just this golden, sparkly, like, saviour to humanity because there's a big push to digitise healthcare and to to make it less uh, people-heavy. And, like, Numa right there, it's really scary. 
you know, and I think it's a reflection on our whole healthcare system too. This idea that you can take human beings out of therapy or out of treatment, like therapy is so fundamentally about a connection and a relationship between two people. And the idea that like a bot can replace that is just so outrageous. Is utterly disgusting. And it, it makes me sick to think that this is going to benefit a private company. Healthcare shouldn't be <laughs> in the hands of a private company. They are planning, according to Business Insider websites, they're planning to go public. They're planning to float and become even bigger. Like they're valued at something like, I don't know, three or $4 billion at the moment. If they float, they'll be $10 billion. They're going to have the means to enact their, their dark plans. So Seiju says, we want to become the best known behavior change platform maker by 2024 worldwide. Mm. This isn't going to get better. This is going to get worse. And it also said that they're trying for a bigger slice of the business-to-business market, and that means that they're trying to get involved with employers and healthcare um, providers. So can you imagine the consequences of your kind of health data being taken and used by like a health insurance company who might find out that you have mental health problems or an eating disorder or, or, or a, you know, quote unquote, obese category. Like we know the real life consequences of this information being known to employers and to healthcare providers. That's really scary. It really is. And I think on the other hand, there's also, it's also scary to think about this being leveraged in the workplace that, you know, people above a certain BMI have to go on Noom now and you <laughs> be provided by your company or that your doctor is going to be prescribing you Noom that's going to be paid for by your insurance company. I think it's, you know, from a marketing standpoint, they're a great business. You know, I think mm. that they are going to be highly profitable and they have used these you know, what I think are really deceptive marketing practices mm. to give people what, you know, to tell people that they're going to get what they want while capitalizing on people's fears and insecurities. And, and then, like you said, like a bait and switch, but mm. it's a good marketing strategy. They're making a lot of money. And I just, it's, it's sad that it's hurting a lot of people in, in the process. Yeah. Yeah. This is capitalism at the expense of humanity. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so scary. And I want to scare you a little bit more. Okay. <laughs> In 2019, Noom went into partnership with Novo Nordisk who make weight loss oh, drugs. Deep breath. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And um, Novo Nordisk, which mm. they're another company that gets me really fired oh, up. Don't get me started. Yeah, but yeah. the way that they've used the language around weight stigma and, oh. Oh, yeah, they they are just after, um, they just want to help everyone be nice to larger people. So they'll go and get weight loss drugs. <laughs> exactly, and surgery. So it is, it's an unholy marriage between Noom and uh, Saxenda. So people now who are taking the Saxenda drug can get a year's free access to Noom, who will take your data. Um, the PR says that they've done this successful pilot study with like Noom, with people who are doing Saxenda. I can't find it published anywhere, but apparently it was very successful. It's really, really terrifying. I found a Novo Nordisk PowerPoint discussion on this, which was, I felt I had a shower afterwards. I felt oh. so dirty. It says that doing the what they call a patient support programs, like so people who are using their prescriptions and then doing Noom, they doing this increases adherence 
And when you look at what increases adherence means, it means people keep filling their Sixenda prescriptions. So this was obviously so appealing to Novo Nordisk that in 2021, you know how I talked about that half a billion dollar investment? Guess who's part of that? So Noom are now like funded by Novo. Wow. Well, just when I thought I couldn't have hated them anymore, (laughs) I got a a new thorn in my side. It same with me. Like I found that out and I just like had this chilling evening of like, oh my God. So now, now all of that data that Noom collect, because look at, look at how good Noom are at collecting data. Before I even signed up, they had my, all sorts of information on me and they keep all of that information. I looked at their privacy policies and here's a little bit of an unsettling one. Noom may share your personal information with various business partners. Some of these business partners may use your personal information to facilitate the offering of services or products that might be of interest to you. And that's Novo. <laughs> it is terrifying. One of the other investors in this half a billion dollar package was a healthcare provider, like several healthcare providers in the United States. So like an insurance company, you mean? Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Your data Mm -hmm. is being potentially looked at by these people. And we're not telling, we're not told this. Noon doesn't disclose who the business partners are or what is happening to that data. And I think this contributes to just kind of the intermingling of all of this money coming from different sources in the weight loss industry, where we don't know the weight loss industry and the medical industry, where we don't know where's coming from what, what guidance is being influenced by which financial interests. And this all filters down at the end of the day, this all filters down to a recommendation from your doctor, who is a professional that you trust, who we kind of intrinsically think is making guidance and recommendations with our best health interests in mind, but they're getting their guidance and recommendations from their medical associations who are often, their board is often filled with people who are getting money from the drug companies, the weight loss industry. So when you're, you know, physician, when, when these associations are making recommendations for weight loss medications and for programs like Noom, there's a financial interest in that. And that all gets filtered down from sources that we're supposed to trust and that we turn to as an authority in our health. I know, but it's all being like, it's all being created and performed by these huge companies. Like Novo really has its tentacles into literally all everything to do with healthcare uh, in the United States and increasingly here in Australia. And Noom positioning itself as a healthcare provider, which it's really, really trying to sell that. It's just terrifying. And I think they, I hope they're going to get their comeuppance in some way. Because did you hear that in May 2020, there was a class action lawsuit launched against Noom? No. <laughs> oh, for the, for taking the month, for not canceling the membership or. Yeah, recurring. tricking customers into auto renewal schemes. So <laughs> people sign up for a really cheap trial and, mm-hmm. you know, in the fine print and says, if you don't, you know, perform all of these kinds of rituals, we will just keep taking your money. And they they have. And, you know, when you think about it, this class action's launched in 2020. Noom's profits have been going up and up and up. 
But if what this class action lawsuit is saying is that their profits are going up because they're just stealing money fraudulently. They're stealing money, you know, and I think that with their enormous marketing budget, they're just playing a numbers game of of inundating people to see their advertisements again and again and again until they sign up, like you said, for either a free trial or some very low fee initial opt-in. And then people are getting charged just definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting to read through the lawsuit because there's hundreds of people involved in it. And um, it hasn't obviously, like the class actions take a while, don't they? But some of the things have been said, failing to tell people that you need a smartphone in order to use it. So, and I ran into that problem too, because I didn't want to use my phone. I I just wanted to kind of put it on the computer so I could like, you know, delete it. You can't use, you have to have a smartphone. Doesn't tell uh, customers when the trial is ending, doesn't send them receipts or anything like that. So you just have no idea. It just sort of happens automatically. And I wanted to read to you what the lawyer said, because I kind of, want to send a card or something to this lawyer. (laughs) Send them a gift basket. Uh The evidence uncovered to date shows that Noom founder Petikov weaponized his background in cognitive behavioral therapy to funnel millions of dollars into the diet app company from unwary customers, says class lawyer Stephen Whittles. We believe his expertise in manipulating human decision-making was used to trap health-conscious Americans into non-refundable multi-month plans they had no intention of purchasing or using. Well said. Well said. I seriously hope that that comes back to bite them, but can you even imagine how much um, money they've got for their lawyers? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, it does, it can feel a little bit hopeless when we look at Mm. these conglomerates that we're up against that have billions of dollars, you know, the healthcare and the weight loss industry, billions of dollars invested in, you know, having us buy into their products. And if a class action comes up, they throw some money at it and it's not a big deal. Yeah. Have you seen the, um, the Netflix movie, Don't Look Up? Yes. <laughs> Very telling. Yeah, kind of. It does. It can. It can feel a little bit overwhelming because this is happening everywhere right now. But this is why I want to do shows like this and call it out and say stuff. And one of the things that really shits me is the uncritical media that Noom attracts. There's the only people who are like, "Hang on a second. The only people are literally people like us. So people who are in the anti-diet community or in the eating disorder world, we are the actual reporters and journalists. Like the the balance of like absolutely uncritical praise versus Mm. like even anyone like doing the tiniest scratch of the surface Mm -hmm. is like, I'm like, do better journalism. Like I'm not an investigative journalist, but I'm starting to feel like one. Yes, I agree completely. Although I will say that I did an article recently with a journalist from Fast Company who wrote a critical article on Noom. They kind of praised the business acumen there, but really did highlight on how they are directly targeting people in eating disorder recovery and that's how they're prop. So yeah, kudos I read that. that. That was one of the few. Like there's like, yeah. you know, it's one of the very few. Yeah. yeah. The week before I was interviewed from an article, I think it might've been the wall street journal. And then the journalist got back to me a week later and said, thanks for your time. We've decided to go a different direction. And then the oh. journal, the article was just about how great Noom was. That's just like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> like this marketing, like it's, it's so sparkly and that's, that's where we are. Like we are just like so unwilling to actually do the, the smallest amount of critical thinking. That, that's just not okay because if they are angling to become a healthcare platform, which is going to collect all of this really sensitive data from people, I don't want this information, this mental health information to be sold off by these cowboys. That, that, is, that is a dreadful direction for healthcare to go in. 
Yeah, and Very a company scary. that's got like a class action lawsuit, can't we do a bit better? Like seriously, even Weight Watchers would be better than, than <laughs> and that's that's kind of where we're at. It's crazy. Well, I think it speaks to how little accountability companies have and how low our expectations mm. are that, you know, if a company is financially successful, then they've made it. And it doesn't really matter who they're harming to get there. And that's just mm. a sad state of where we've come in our society. Mm. Very is I want to tell the everyone listening because like this whole thing about CBT just really sticks in my throat (laughs) CBT is the answer you know that the piece of the puzzle to lasting weight loss uh, says no and in psychology we have actually researched this And the gold standard is from Fairburn and Cooper, who wrote a book called CBT for quote-unquote obesity, which was from 2002. And these are really highly regarded CBT um, researchers and psychiatrists who have um, clinics in eating disorders at Oxford. So they wrote this guidebook and then they ran a randomised controlled trial, which um, which was really well designed. And what they did was compared this kind of CBT intervention for obesity with um, the the other kind of gold standard, the LEARN program. And then they published the results in 2010. And for everyone out there, that's what real, not real, like that's what long-term research looks like. It's it's three years. It's following people. It's actually seeing what happens to people long-term. What they discovered was that about 10% of the people who did the program lost weight Sorry, everybody who did the program at the CBT intervention arm lost about 10% of their body weight initially. But by three years later, everyone was back to their starting weight and quite a few people were heavier. So, you know, once again, same old story, it, it doesn't work. Um, and But what's really interesting is the conclusion because these are really highly regarded researchers and science is always quite um, sort of tame in what it says. But listen to this. This is the conclusion. And I'm sorry for using the O word. O- obesity is resistant to psychological methods of treatment, if anything other than a short-term perspective is taken. It is suggested that it's ethically questionable to claim that psychological treatment for obesity works in the absence of data on their long-term effects. And this is the stuff that's not making the headlines, but this is the important things that we should be taking away from the research in this area. This is what the science really says, because, you know, our body weight, our our tendency to regain weight after being restrictive is not down to our psychological decision-making processes or any behaviours. Our bodies are really good at uh, getting back to the highest comfortable weight for that human, and it's physiologically, not psychologically driven. We have zero control over the processes that our body does to restore itself to a homeostasis any more than we have control over breathing. At some point, our body's just going to take over. And this is why it's so absurd, the notion to be using psychology in the service of weight loss. Just, yes, utterly. I mean, people, anyone who says that, if you come across it, they're selling something, you know, and you'll see the same old, same old. You'll see the Nike tick. You'll see um, promises of long-term weight loss when long-term has been redefined to like the next half an hour. Like it's, <laughs> it's just not, it's not science. <laughs> right. And suspiciously, they don't share the long, the actual long-term data, which, you know, they have, they have sit in there in, in a, in a vault somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's so funny. Not funny, but it is funny. Like Noom's, Noom's weight loss outcomes are bad even by weight loss 
science research standards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, read, I read one of them, which was like doing a, a C, it, it was using the Fairburn CBT model. So at, alongside Noom, it was that, and they found that they got over maybe six months. Yeah, it was, they got 3% weight loss, which is, it's terrible. Like mm-hmm. that is terrible. Like any, like do any other kind of shitty diet and you'll end up with bigger weight loss than that. And the, the gold standard treatment that they're basing it off got 10%. So they, they do a shitty job in, in a already shitty area. But guess what the, the, the paper did? What? So in the discussion, they redefined a good level of weight loss down from 5% to 3%. <laughs> like, How convenient. How convenient. <laughs> I find it fascinating to read research articles. And if you look at the results section compared to the conclusion, it's like two totally different stories. Always in weight loss research too. Like results is always like really nothing happened. (laughs) And the conclusion is like, we need to do more of this. This is excellent and like so promising and terrific and give us more money. (sighs) Unbelievable. But this is, this is kind of like your wheelhouse, like, well, not your wheelhouse, but where you came from, right? Because I was reading your book and it said that, when you started your career in psychology, you spent five years in grad school learning psychological strategies to help people lose weight and I assume keep it off. Yes. I I went into psychology with this as my career path in terms of like being a psychologist that helped people lose weight. Thankfully, I'm so grateful that I discovered the health at every size movement and mindful eating, you know, fairly early in my career. But I spent a lot of time in grad school and postgraduate training and, you know, even for a few years after that, working in, in obesity, quote unquote, obesity research and attending conferences and doing kind of alongside the, the, these researchers, trying to figure out how to get people to lose weight and keep it off long-term. And it's always been acknowledged even within the quote-unquote obesity research community, you know, within this weight-centric model of people who have dedicated their lives and careers to trying to get people to lose weight. It has always been acknowledged that it does not work Mm long-term. And (laughs) it's widely acknowledged, but instead of kind of saying, Hmm, maybe we should shift gears and do something else with our career. They keep saying, well, there must be another way. There must be another way. It's maybe this diet. It's that diet. It's the magical combination of the stoplight diet with a bot doing what we're calling CBT. Like they just keep yearning after trying to, it's like when, when you have a hammer, everything's a nail and they're just Mm -hmm. keep looking to find a solution through the same lens rather than pivoting and saying, you know, this is actually not effective and it can create a great deal of harm to people. And maybe we should adjust gears and try mm-hmm. something different. What they are doing now is pivoting within that community to acknowledging that diets don't work. And now Novo Nordisk and mm-hmm. the, the likes of them are, you know, saying diets don't work. And now everyone should be taking weight loss medications and cert, having bariatric yeah. surgery. And that's yeah. where that field is going. It's so just, I mean, oh, it's, I mean, at what point, if ever, are they actually going to, you know, wake up and smell the coffee? And But good on you for, like, being, like, immersed in all of that culture and, like, it must have been really interesting, your process of, like, waking up and, like, leaving them. 
I just feel so grateful for the people who educated me. And, you know, it really was like one moment. I remember I was at a mindful eating training that was like a very weight-based training. And there were people who were involved in the health at every size movement there. And someone said to me, and I was very much in the school of like, dieting works and, you know, I'm going to, here I am fresh out of grad school. I'm going to find a way to get people to lose weight. And this is what my career is going to be. And someone said like, but we know that doesn't work. And I was like, what? And it was so mind blowing to me because I was so immersed in diet culture. It had literally never occurred to me to question whether what we were doing works or not. And thankfully I was immersed in the fields of obesity research because as soon as they said that, not as soon as they said that, but over some time as that thought rattled around in my brain, I'm like, the data completely is consistent with that statement that diets don't work. Once you say it, you can't unsay it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so it just got harder and harder for you to stay. Yeah. I think that I started, you know, like so many of us, I kind of went through a process of trying to find different ways to make it work. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'll do mindful eating, but obviously if we eat mindfully, then we're going to lose weight and kind of straddling this middle ground for a while. But the more that that, for a while, yeah, I try, you know, try to hold on to like both perspectives and fit it together, but it doesn't fit together. And, you know, the more that I learned about health at every size and mindful eating and diet culture and dieting, and it just really resonated with me both as a researcher and someone who follows the science and the data around these things, it made a lot of sense. And it also resonated for me personally as someone who had spent so much of my life dieting and as a therapist who was working with people who were really caught in diet culture and seeing that this doesn't work. So yeah, as I became you know, learn more about health at every size, it became more, um, there was more cognitive dissonance for me of staying involved in the obesity research world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I stopped attending some of, I, and I stopped attending some of the research conferences largely because I didn't want to be giving these organizations my money and the Mm -hmm. conference fees were very expensive. And I attended, I, I attended a conference recently last year, two years ago, because I do feel torn. I think it's important to stay in touch with what the current research is in this area, especially what they're saying, what they're saying. saying. Yes, exactly. I think we, we do kind of have to know what's going on in that world, but gosh, I do not want to give these organizations my money. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I'm yeah, totally very similar experience to you, right? Just like the health at every size and like the, the need for a paradigm change is just so obvious that, yeah. And the, the, the dissonance, you know, and that, that kind of loosening, first loosening, wanting both and then letting go. It's kind of like leaving an abusive relationship, isn't it? It's like yeah. for ages, you're like, oh, this is great. And he's great. And like, uh, except that he, you know, is taking all my money and he's awful, but he's great. And then it gets to like, well, he's not great, but it, it can change. It can change. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that that's what diet culture makes us believe. And it really is like a, you know, toxic relationship in a lot of ways where we hold on to this, you know, fantasy of what things could be like. We kind of like only see the good things or the promises without looking at the full picture of the reality of, of what it is. And, and when we do start to look, kind of practice acceptance and look at what diet culture and what dieting is doing in our lives, it's not the things that it's promising. It's just, yeah, it's not the fairy tale. And like yeah. Noom is like the ultimate emotionally abusive partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it really massive is. marketing budget and a whole bunch of bots yeah. and the whole world behind them. So 
God, it, it is really hard, isn't it, to resist and to be um, in the health at every size paradigm, but I'm really glad that you are. And your book is really cool as well, thinking about the, the diet-free revolution. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so I actually started um, working on this book back around where I was starting to make that shift for myself, moving away the weight-centric model. And there was very little at the time. So this was, you know, back, I'd say around like 2013, where I first started really working on the book proposal for this. And I wanted to write the book because there was so little written from a weight-inclusive perspective on mindful eating. And still, I think there there's not much out there. Mindful mm-hmm. eating is something that's gotten so co-opted by the diet culture. Mm-hmm. Noom says they do mindful eating. Watchers uh-huh. does mindful eating. But what, you know, again, just how Noom's not really doing CBT. It's not really mindful eating because mindful eating is inherently a weight-inclusive non-diet practice. So I wanted to write the book to kind of share, to have a resource for people who are wanting to learn about mindful eating and heal from diet culture from a weight, truly a weight-inclusive perspective, and also to share some of the disconnect of what I was learning as a researcher, looking at the weight science and from that kind of results section of the papers that are showing that, that, that this strategy is not effective. It's not working. It's not sustainable long time, which especially at the time, you know, like in 2013 was not at all being translated to the general public. We were still very much being told that our body weight is completely under our control. And it's just a matter of diet and exercise. So, you know, I wrote the book out of the need to, to share that. And it has obviously evolved so much over the past eight years as my stance and my perspective has changed. So in a way, I'm grateful that back in 2013, it didn't get picked up. And what I was told then is is that you can't write a book telling people it's okay to be fat. That's dangerous. That's harmful to people's health. So no one wanted to pick it up at the time. Now, obviously, the landscape is very different. And, you know, I think the book has evolved a lot. Um, and one of the things that in this iteration, I really want to do was help people who are recognizing diet culture, like diets don't work. I don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again. But what do I do? Because mm-hmm. I was finding that a lot of people get over, you know, we're feeling overwhelmed around the idea of like, I'm not going to diet, but how do I listen to my body? Where do I go from there? What do I do if I'm not dieting, who am I if I'm not oh, dieting? So good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, it's, it's so, we're so similar. <laughs> yeah. I haven't written a book, but I've got the online program and it's putting all that material together. And so Untrapped, I've actually got two iterations, maybe three actually, because I kept like, early, same with you, like I kept kind of changing. And in 2016, I, I binned the whole thing and redid it because I recognize like it's so much like it's just so many layers with not dieting like you kind of first you're unlearning little things but then like it gets deeper and deeper and and when you see the big picture like that this is really all about connection and really unconditional positive acceptance of everyone not just based on size but all of the intersections of the things that happen with oppression like it's just so big and, and so lovely to like embody and get back to that stuff. Like it's nice on an individual level, but it's also really important on a social level um, and on a change level. And that's why, you know, I was going to ask you about the word revolution in yeah. your book. Yeah. So I chose the word revolution, you know, in part because I think that, I think that's what we need right now mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of a radical act to really disrupt 
diet culture. And I see each person, you know, it can be overwhelming when we think about the systems and kind of like, how do we change these conglomerates and these, you know, massive financial money that's invested in us hating ourselves and believing that we're not good enough and dieting and, you know, capitalism and patriarchy and (laughs) all of that. It can feel kind of overwhelming, but I really do believe that, you know, each person who finds their way out of diet culture is changing the world. Because I think that, you know, each person impacts those around them. And when we can reach a critical mass of people who are choosing as individuals to opt out of diet culture, you know, it opens up their brain space Mm -hmm. to engage in the world in a different way and to focus their energy and their financial resources on the things that are really truly most important to them in their lives. And I think right now we have, you know, when we think about the statistics, like um, 91% of women feel dissatisfied with their body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's 91% of women who are think using up their mental yeah. energy and their brain capacity to think about that they're not good enough, that they're not deserving. They feel shame. They maybe don't want to get up to have their voice heard because they don't want the attention on them. Those are people who are opting out of of our society in in various ways, you know, to different degrees. But I think that when we can engage more fully in the world, we are going to see some really massive changes in terms of how our world works. That energy to hatred of self and body and like the constant renovation of our body. If Mm -hmm. we just stop doing that, then like we're kind of, I mean, not unstoppable because there's still like heaps and heaps of stuff in terms of inequality uh, and, and difficulties, but we'll just stop. And that's where like Noom are so gross because, you know, I was looking at the, it's so, (laughs) I'm such a nerd. Over Christmas, I was looking at the Weight Watchers profit uh, here in Australia for last year and it's just gone so far down. It's great. It's so great to see the death of Weight Watchers Mm -hmm. Um, because that's one 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 of my big goals is to see Weight Watchers go broke. Great. To see the ascension of Noom because they are picking up on this idea of diets don't work and like, like, you know, we get some brain space and then immediately get it co-opted by Noom. No, we need to keep saying no app can help you realize how awesome you are. Exactly. And how awesome you are has nothing to do with shrinking your body. Or logging your friggin' red foods. <laughs> And I mean, I think that's the thing that Noom tricks us into believing is that, you know, this better life awaits us if we can just follow their program or their plan. And it, you know, it capitalizes on that insecurity that's fostered in us for, from such a young age to convince us that that we need to change. And I think that I agree, like that shift happens when we can believe in ourselves and know that we are good enough just as we are. Yeah. And we don't need these no. programs. We need to give these engineers more money. We don't. Yeah. So I'm hoping, I mean, the investments are big. I'm hoping that if we can collectively wake up and just push back and just not buy it. And I hope this class action just sinks them and hurts them big time (laughs) because all those people should get their money back at least. And a huge fine at least needs to be paid by these guys who are just opportunistically kind of peeking away at ways to get into our wallets. It's so good that what you're doing to I just love our anti-diet community and knowing that there are so many people who are like-minded and who are pushing back and you know you've got a community over in New York who are pushing back which is like ground zero for noob like Mm. you could go and like kick at the place that's a good idea 
<laughs> on anti-diet day. Yes, I might. <laughs> Right. Well, and I was going to say how great it is what you're doing. Cause I think that opening up these conversations are so important because we may not be able to, you know, combat new one-to-one, but I do think that we can kind of be like a swarm of gnats almost oh. if we get enough people talking about it, you yeah. know, again, it impacts the conversation around us hmm. and, right. and it can make a change. We, we can, because like, I never thought Weight Watchers would tank after um, Oprah you know, pretended it wasn't a diet. You can eat bread. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. It's been such an awesome conversation. Yeah. Thank you. I really (laughs) appreciate you having me. Thank you so much, Alexis. And I hope you guys are okay after that roller coaster because I'm just outraged every time. Every time I even think about Noom, I'm just so, so intensely angry but that felt good to to process and to discuss and to get this message out there so I want to share this podcast as much as I can I'm so outraged about this that on top of the podcast I'm going to be blogging in in a little bit of detail about even more disturbing stuff uh, that we didn't get time to talk about on today's show so keep an eye out for uh, a new blog on this share the podcast with as many people as you can and look people if you have been affected by Noom, 45 million downloads is a lot of people. It's a lot of money. You can join the class action lawsuit. Yes, you can. If you go to Whittles Law, so W-I-T-T-L-E-S, WhittlesLaw.com forward slash cases forward slash Noom dash weight dash loss dash program dash auto dash enrollment dash class dash action. (laughs) Or if you Google Whittles Law Noom, you will find the class action. You can join the class action. The more people who join this class action, the more likely it is that Noom will be financially hit hard by this because I really think a lot of the things that they're doing are very topical issues and it's, it's just absolutely dodgy as hell. If you don't want to go to all of that bother of getting um, involved in a class action or if you don't live in the United States and you want to get your money back from Noom, uh, because they're under scrutiny right now, they're actually getting quite good at refunding. I managed to get my $1 back from Noom after enrolling myself simply by emailing them. You can email Noom on this address, support at noom.com request a refund and they should give you your money back and like I said because they know they're being watched they are handing the money back so please if you have been scammed by noom push back get that money back in your wallet retain your power and hopefully we can absolutely stop this disgusting company from taking our money So a big thank you again to Alexis for coming on and talking uh, about this and being so passionate in the pushback against Noom. If you want to find out more about Alexis, she is on Instagram at the anti-diet plan and her book is called The Diet-Free Revolution. So that's excellent as well. Okay, that's the end of another beautiful rant. I will be back with a whole series of just excellent stuff. I can't wait. Until next time, everyone, stay safe or stay as safe as you can. Push back, okay? Trust your body. Think critically. Push back against diet culture. Untrap from the crap.